0: Amen. How you guys doing today? Good. <laughs> um, so we're going to get into Acts week 7. Um, but before we do that, I want to give you guys a, a church update. Um, so it's been a crazy week around here. Many of you know, many of you don't. Um, so during the message last Sunday, Pastor Ron mentioned he was preparing to go to Texas to preach uh, at a camp for kids um, called Camp Agape. And this camp is a, it's a grief recovery camp. So within the last six months to, to a year, um, roughly around that time frame, these kids that attend this camp have lost a parent, lost a grandparent that was really close, lost a sibling. Um, and so Pastor Ron was going to minister to these kids Well, during at the end of the sermon last week, he started to have pain in his back, and his kidney area, and come to find out by going to the emergency room, it was a kidney stone. And so um, he had to have emergency surgery on Monday, and they had to blast the kidney stone. Um, and you can probably imagine a long plane ride with lots of travel wouldn't be very comfortable with a kidney stone trying to get, get it out and get rid of it. And so, um, on Monday, Pastor Ron was still in pain. And um, if you know me, if you know my story, I was that kid. I was the 12-year-old kid that lost his mom to brain cancer. And so, I texted Pastor Ron, hey, look, I know you just had this emergency surgery. Um, I don't want you to feel stuck. If you, if you are physically unable to go, I'm willing to step in. And he called me immediately. And he said, this is, this is it. This is what the Lord is doing. And so I didn't expect to be in Texas, but this past week in Pastor Ron's place, I went to Texas to minister to the camp. Yeah. And so, Pastor Ron was able to stay home and rest and recover, and he's doing well now. He's doing much better. Um, But, like I said, I didn't expect to end up in Texas. And so, of course, on the way to this camp, I'm thinking, Lord, what do you want me to say? I mean, I have my story. I know what I went through. I know what it's like to be eight and to see your mom holding her head in the living room and be rushed to the ER to find out she has brain cancer and a tumor surgery. And I know what it's like to go through four years or so of mom's gone for a couple weeks, and then she's home, and then she's gone, and I've seen seizures. And so I I was able to share with these kids, I know what it's like. And And I was able to minister to them, but one specific thing the Lord really led me to focus in on, was my response, literally at, after my mom's funeral, I can take you to exactly where I was standing when I, con- when I was thinking, God, you must not like me. You must, you must be mad at me. I, I know I can't please you. I can't be perfect. And so this must be you taking my mom away because you don't like me. And so I remember standing in this parking lot with my cousins, and I thought, well, I don't like you either. I don't like you either, God. In fact, I'm, I'm mad at you. And so I, I just kind of lived my life, even subconsciously at times, just trying to get back at the world for my loss. And so I really zoned in on this with these kids. And, and what's really cool about the camp is they have a one-to-one leader-to-kid ratio. So there was about 50 or 60 kids, and right next to every kid was an adult that, and most of them had also lost somebody. And so as soon as I dove into that topic, you almost saw every, you know, leader give that look to the kid, like, are you listening to what he's saying? And come to find out, at least 80% of the kids there at some point that week had said, why would God do this to me, why I'm angry at God? And so for me to speak right into that place, we just don't even know. You know what that could have done and so I'm praying and I encourage you to pray that maybe the Lord did a work there and you can't erase that pain that they're feeling and I told them that but I did say that I want them to ingrain my face into their brain when they feel like they can't keep going remember me because if I made it they can make it and so it's so cool to get to share. I got to speak to them for about 30 minutes, and then they did a Q&A time, and they just drilled me with questions. Some of them were deep theological questions from like a 10-year-old, and some of them, they were obsessed with my family. On the screen behind me there, there's a picture of my family, they asked me, which kid is my favorite? (laughs) I told them it depends on the day, (laughs) but it was awesome. And the coolest part of it all, I could take the whole sermon time just to share my experience, but the coolest part of it all, before I even spoke, as soon as I got there, there was this one kid, and you could just tell he was the cool kid. Everybody liked him. Everybody was drawn to him. They had like this news anchor show thing they did, and he was the host. And he came up to me, and he interviewed me. He was like, I have all these questions. I was like, interview me. And then he interviewed me, and then he started to walk away. I said, no, 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 no. I said, keep the cameras. I said, now I'm going to interview you. And so I got to interview him. He thought that was hilarious. And we kind of connected. We just, on a surface level, joked about sports and which teams are better and blah, blah, blah. Well, come to find out, this exact kid uh, who was sitting like on the front row during this message, uh, he had lost his mom to uh, cancer of some sort. Um, within the last several months, he had two younger siblings that he kind of felt like he had to go from a little kid to an adult very quickly, and that's the similar feelings I had. kind of feel like I had to go from 12 to 20 overnight to take care of my siblings. So he was very independent, very, I don't need help, and that's exactly me. And so I was able to really connect with this kid on a personal level, and then his big buddy afterwards came and he said, you have no idea the impact that you have made on this young man's life. So so many stories like that that were incredible. So didn't expect to be in Texas this past week, but yeah, praise God. There's another picture, I don't know if we showed it, it was of the whole camp. Yeah, there we go. So there's all of them. There's all the kids and all of their buddies and a few of the leaders. Um, And it was an awesome time. So, before we dig into Acts, I just find it so appropriate if we could just pray for these kids. So, join with me. Lord, thank you for these kids. God, we thank you for an opportunity to get to connect with this camp and to minister to these kids that are hurting. And God, I just pray that you would just do a work in their hurt and in their pain and their questioning and their confusion. God, some of them, they don't even know how to process what's happened in their life through losing a sibling to suicide or a father to a freak drowning accident on vacation to losing a parent to cancer. God, all of these kids have been traumatized. And Lord, we know that it's not your heart that we would experience the pain that we have, but Lord, we thank you that you are the redeemer. So Lord, I pray you would redeem their stories, God, that you would just heal them, that you would, you would draw close to them. And God, over time, I pray that when they're ready, you would send the right people to redeem their loss, send spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers, spiritual siblings, spiritual grandparents, God, to redeem these areas of loss. And Lord, we thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Yeah. So that's Camp Agape, and, and it was really neat that from here it really seems like there's going to be an even further relationship. Through talking to the camp founder, she was like, I have a dream to take this outside of Texas. I said, well, let's get into Tennessee. This is my heart. And so, hopefully there will be more Camp Agapes for more children who have lost somebody. So be praying for that. But that's the church update. You ready to get into the Word? Let's do it. Uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 13 and 14. This is where we're going to be today. Only Acts 13 and 14. So these, these chapters are referred to in, in church history as Paul's first missionary journey. It's the first missionary journey of Paul. In fact, some of you, if your Bible's like mine, I remember being a new believer and flipping to the very back and seeing these maps in the back of my Bible, and I was like, what does that mean? Well, today, you'll be able, if you have those maps, you'll be able to understand a little bit the map of Paul's first missionary journey. So that's what we're going to study today. We're going to highlight different points of Paul's journey that happened in these two chapters So, feel free to follow along. I'm going to go just systematically through, and of course, we'll have it on the screen. I'm going to do my best to teach historically what happened, but also pull out truth and give like a pastoral application throughout. So, here we go. Let's dive in. So, Acts 13 verses 1 through 3, this is where it all begins. So we read here that it says, now. They were in the church of Antioch, prophets and teachers. You have Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Manean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So pause there. So raise your hand if you know the stories of each of those people listed on the screen. Probably not. So one thing that you'll miss if you don't peek under the hood of, this, of these verses is there's, there's some amazing things happening that you won't see. So you have five men described here by Luke that are central leaders within the church of Antioch. You have Barnabas, who you may know a little bit about. He, he will be tra- Paul's travel companion. He will, he's the one in Acts 4 that sold his field and gave all of the money to the apostles for the advancement of the kingdom. He's the one that actually brought Paul to Antioch. So it was because of Barnabas that Paul is even here. But then we see Simeon. So we don't know much about Simeon, but what we do know according to the verse is that they called him Niger. And this means literally dark. It means black. And then there's Lucius, who is from Cyrene, who is is from northern Africa. So Simeon and Lucius looked a lot different. Then Paul and Barnabas. Simeon and Lucius were both black men. And then you had Paul and Barnabas, again, who looked way different. But yet here they are together in the same room, in church leadership together, worshiping and praying together without any racial or cultural barriers dividing them. And then you, then you throw in Menean, who according to the scripture says is a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. So what this means, history tells us that this guy in particular was most likely like an adopted brother of Herod the Tetrarch. So if you're familiar with the Bible, do you remember the guy that called for John the Baptist's head to be cut off and given to his stepdaughter on a silver platter? That's Herod the Tetrarch. So this Manian guy potentially would have been affiliated with all that Herod the tetrarch did horrific injustice and sin he would have saw sexual sin all around him greed and a long long list of sexual and sinful practices yet here he is now in a room in church leadership forgiven and rescued by Jesus and committed to advancing the kingdom in a room with Paul Barnabas and these other guys so here's the picture you see and i hope that you If you need to hear this, hear it. The picture we see, according to this verse, is that God can forgive anyone, and He has a purpose for everyone. He can forgive the worst of the worst, and He has a purpose for those who were once called outcasts. He has a plan for all people of all backgrounds. And these men, apart from the gospel, they would have hated each other. If it wasn't for the gospel, and these men in the same room, somebody would have not left the room. They would have been probably dead, because these men, apart from the gospel, they would have wanted to kill each other. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but just Paul and Barnabas alone is a miracle, because think about it. What did Paul do before he was a Christ follower? He was a church destroyer, and what did he do? He threw Christians in prison, he murdered them, and guess who was a Christian during all of this? Barnabas. And the church was small, so you can't tell me that Barnabas didn't know some of, his bro- or some of the brothers and sisters that Paul was responsible for either killing or throwing in prison. And yet, here these two are, together, partners in ministry, forgiveness, mercy, and grace. And this is what we see in this room. I just wanted to point this out. Because despite the differences of background, skin color, social classes, and culture, here these men are together in a room praying and worshiping Christ. This is what the gospel does. But then we keep going. Verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. And so it begins. Paul and Barnabas are sent out, and the best of the best in this church, the best leadership, they are sent from Antioch to spread the gospel and to establish churches that will disciple the new believers and continue to reach the communities. And so Paul and Barnabas are gone. And their journey begins. And so I have a map I want to show you. I get to use the laser pointer today. I've been having fun with it all morning. Um, So just for reference, like Pastor Ron has done, this is where it all began. This is where the church began. And it just kept multiplying and growing and growing. And then all of a sudden they're all up in here. But now they're all the way up in here. So this is where the church of Antioch is. And so they pray, they gather in the room, they say, send Paul and Barnabas. And so they start their first missionary journey and they sail across the sea. And the first stop is right here on the island of Cyprus. And so let's talk about what the scripture tells us happens in Cyprus. So little facts about Cyprus. Um, It was obviously an island. It was about 90 miles wide. And actually, Barnabas was from Cyprus. He was a, a native of Cyprus. And Paul and Barnabas, they traveled this entire island just to see what the Lord may want them to do. The island was considered reached already. There were believers there, but Paul and Barnabas wanted to go and, and further the kingdom. And so, one thing to point out that you'll see on every single stop today is, is this theme. Two things happen at almost every single stop. Number one, here's the theme, there will always be people that are open to the gospel and listen, and number two, there will always be people that are closed off to the gospel and reject it. This is what you'll see in every stop, which takes us to verse 6 of chapter 13, and this is where we're introduced to the first person we see open to the gospel and one who is closed off to the gospel, Acts 13, 6-7. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. And so right there you see you have Bar-Jesus and Sergius Paulus, Bar-Jesus was a sorcerer, a false Jewish prophet. He was probably the guy, if he lived today, that has the business down the street with the fortune-telling thing that people are always—you're always tempted to go there, aren't you? When you drive by, you just want to see what happens. Don't go there. This was what Bar-Jesus did. He was the fortune-teller, the sorcerer, and he was a false Jewish prophet. But then you had Sergius Paulus. He was a proconsul, which means he was a Roman governor of Cyprus. He was a Gentile, and he held lots of power in that area. And as Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel, guess who was open? Sergius Paulus. But guess who opposed? Bar-Jesus. And and so what Bar-Jesus tries to do is he tries to deceive and, and tell Sergius Paulus, don't listen." These guys are liars. Don't listen to any—I have the truth. They are lying. I know the way. He's trying to deceive. And so Bar-Jesus, what what happens here, what we see is he saw the gospel as a threat to his image and his livelihood. Bar-Jesus probably had people like Sergius Paulus convinced that he was powerful and and probably convinced— To give him money because he knew the way. He was the fortune teller. Give me money for my magic and my deception. And what we see here is the gospel was coming into direct opposition to his pride and his love of money. Which, if we can pause there, pride and materialism are two reasons people oppose the gospel. People do not want to give up their way, people do not want to admit they're wrong. People don't want to be humble and repent, and they don't want to say the gospel is true and live for Christ. And parallel to that, people love their stuff. The gospel confronts idolatry and and excessive love of money and materials. And again, what we're not ever saying is that having stuff and money is wrong. It's when you live like this with it, when you're close-fisted, and that's bar Jesus. My money, my image. People know me in this place to be powerful, and here these people are. And when collision comes, when the gospel confronts idolatry and the excessive love of money, sometimes things get heated. And this is what happens with Bar Jesus, which is pretty awesome. If you're a Bible nerd like me, I love this. It leads to Paul. By the Holy Spirit, when you think miracles, you think, I love you, you're healed. What happens is it flips. It's you're a gospel opposer, you're blind. So Paul temporarily blinds by Jesus. We read this in Acts 13, 9 through 12. You can see it in your Bible. I'm not making it up. But Paul, who was also called Paul, so now we're starting to see Saul be referred to as Paul, Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon Bar-Jesus, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand, which... Just now, it makes me wonder, like, isn't it interesting that the same thing that happened to Paul when he was blinded by Jesus, and the Scripture says, and he needed people to lead him by the hand. This is the exact same thing that happens to this guy. I don't know. Food for thought. Go research it later. But verse 12, here's the point. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord." So one rejected the gospel and attempted to deceive others, and was temporarily judged for it in a supernatural way, blinded physically to mirror his spiritual blindness. However, on the other hand, one believed. Sergius Paulus believed the gospel, and Tony Merida, a pastor in Nashville, He said this about this story in Acts. You're going to hear a lot of Tony Merida today, because I just can't say it any better. So this is what he says about this story. While the darkness of judgment came on Bar-Jesus, the light of salvation burst on the Gentile ruler, Sergius Paulus. As in the early chapters of Acts, a miracle provided an occasion to proclaim the gospel, and this prominent Roman official who had no religious background in Judaism, became a member of the family of God. Let this conversion story encourage you as you seek to make the gospel known to believers. Some people will repent and turn to Christ when a bold witness makes the good news clear to them. God is at work in the world, bringing all sorts of people to faith in Christ through the witness of faithful missionaries. Your Sergius Paulus is waiting, amen. Your surges, Pauluses, are waiting. And that's what we're going to keep drilling on today. So may we, like Paul and Barnabas, share the gospel knowing that some will reject our message. Some will reject us. Some will reject us. Some will make fun of us. Some will look at us like we're dumb. Can we just... Admit it. Can we just settle it? We will get rejected. The Bible promises that, but some will believe. And what if as we faithfully live out our faith and boldly share Christ with others, some receive the gospel, and they're saved for eternity, and we just got to watch the Lord use us as a vessel to reach them. So the point is today, and it's the only point really, share the gospel every day. Every opportunity you can, say yes and just do it. Because what if people's eternity will be saved by your faithfulness to sharing the gospel? This is what Paul and Barnabas saw. But what if the opposite is true? What if people's eternity are not saved by your unfaithfulness to share? It's worth pondering as the Spirit tugs you and leads you to people or to opportunities. And so what we see here is Paul and Barnabas, they make their stop here on the island of Cyprus, they do what they have to do, and then they leave, and they head to what's called Antioch of Pisidia, which was over a hundred miles worth of travel. And by the way, I will hereby only refer to Antioch of Pisidia as AOP, because I don't want to keep saying that over and over. So AOP is Antioch of Pisidia, AOP, plus it sounds cooler. So here it is on the map. So they leave Cyprus, they sail across the waters, they actually make a stop here in Perga, they hang out here for a minute, but then they travel up here to AOP. And you can't tell on the map, but this, this journey here was known. If you come from the south up to AOP, it's known to be a strenuous task. It's not just for your everyday common hikers to go. This was like it took a physical toll to get there. You went through lots and lots of uphill, downhill, mountains, climate changed, and then you add to that it was known to be a dangerous route with burglars and all these things. But yeah, even though these guys knew the physical task ahead, they went to bring the gospel to AOP. And so when they arrive to this place, they head straight to the synagogue to gather with other Jews. And then when they're in the synagogue at church service with the other Jewish people, it gets to the time in the service where the leader of the church gathering says, does anybody have an encouragement to share? It would be like me yelling, anybody got an encouragement to share? You raise your hand, okay, you go ahead, stand up. So, of course, does anybody have an encouragement to share? You know whose hand went up first, Paul. I do. And they motioned him to go ahead. And this is where we see in Acts 13, Paul preach a sermon. He just went ahead and took it. He just went ahead and preached a sermon during this time to the people of AOP. And what he does in this sermon is it mirrors what you see the sermon happen at Pentecost with Peter. This sermon that Paul preaches is almost the same. He ties back to the Old Testament and ties it into Jesus and how Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah has come. And remember, what he's doing is he's talking to Jews. What do Jews do? Well, they're striving to obey the law of Moses in every way. They're trying to do everything the law says to hopefully obtain salvation and peace with God. Guess who knows what that's like? Paul. This was the life he lived. And so here Paul takes the opportunity to share the gospel that changed his life. And he says in verse 38 and 39 of 13, again, he's talking to the Jews. He says, let it be known to you, therefore, Brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And that doesn't offend us, but this would have offended them. You're saying there's a way above the law of Moses? There's a way to be free apart from the law? The Greek word there for freed, it literally means our big word justified. Remember the whiteboard? If you were here several weeks ago, several, I think it was weeks, feels like weeks, where I wrote for you every single sin I've ever committed on a whiteboard, sorta. But the, the word for there, justified, it's the, it's the same type of word. It means to wipe clean your slate, to wipe clean your record. The word for this specific context, it literally means slate wiped clean as if you never broke the law of God in the first place. Freed, completely innocent before God as if you never violated his law or sinned against him, not once. Freed. So Paul here was preaching the gospel. You can be freed, but it's not by the law. It's in Christ. It's in Jesus. The Messiah has come, and He not only will one day come and physically save us like the Jewish people were waiting a Messiah to physically save them, this Messiah came to eternally and spiritually rescue us and save us, free us, wipe our slates clean as if we never violated the law of God ever by His blood. This is what Paul was preaching to these people, and guess what happened? Some listened, some rejected. Acts 13, 42 says, As they went out, the people begged them that these things might be told next week. Please come back next Sunday and preach again, Saul, or Paul. Verse 43, And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue on, in the grace of God. And then check out verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Almost the whole city. So now you don't have only Jews, now you have Gentiles all gathering to hear Paul preached. It's impossible, but just imagine our city trying to cram into this room to hear the Apostle Paul preach. Obviously, it's not going to happen in this room. We'd have to go outside. But all, almost the whole city gathers to hear the Apostle Paul preach, but then guess who starts to show up? The gospel opposers. In verse 45, it says, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And basically, what you see, if you continue to read on, Paul and Barnabas They put these opposing Jews in their place by saying, since their hearts are hardened, God is opening and extending His kingdom to the Gentiles. And now what you see alongside many Jews in the city that were converted, we now read in verse 48 that when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord as many were appointed to eternal life believed. And so again, Tony Merida, reflecting on this part, he says, some were intrigued by the message the missionaries shared, some were enraged by it, some believed it completely, and the messengers were filled with joy, and so we should expect to encounter similarly mixed results when we make the gospel known. There will always be gospel listeners and gospel opposers, always. Some believe, some reject. But it didn't stop. Paul and Barnabas, here they go, they keep going. We'll be quick here. The third stop, Iconium. It was a 90 mile journey from AOP, southeast to Iconium. And again, they didn't have, I'm sure you know this, they didn't have trains and Ubers and cars. They really didn't even use horses. They they had to walk. So they walked 90 miles. And there it is on the map. And they went to this place called Iconium. They preached the gospel. And guess what happened? Some believed and some rejected. And nevertheless, Paul and Barnabas, they stayed a little while. They kept preaching the gospel. They actually kept performing signs and miracles. And what it started to do is it really started to divide the city. Some sided with Paul and Barnabas and some sided with Jews that were opposing and there were threats thrown out. We're going to stone, we're going to harm Paul and Barnabas. And so they had to flee the city. And there was a quick stop there in Iconium, and they flee the city. Thankfully, this time, a short distance down to here, down to Lystra. So, Lystra, if I can teach you the context here, it was different. It was different than every place they had visited this, up to this point. Every place they had visited up to this point, the first thing you see them do is they go to the Jewish synagogue. What that means is that there was a pretty strong Jewish, you could say in maybe kind of modern terms, there was a Christian presence but the Jewish presence, they had a real, real familiarity with the Old Testament, and it was kind of engrafted into culture. The Gentile kids maybe hung out a little bit, sort of, with the Jewish kids, and they kind of had an understanding of the Old Testament. That's not what it was like in Lystra. Lystra was predominantly pagan, and there was not, there was a small minority of Jews. In fact, if you want to know a cool Fun fact, there was a few Jews in Lystra, one of which was Timothy. If you know the letters first and second, Timothy, Timothy was from Lystra. In fact, when Paul and Barnabas were visiting this town around this time that we're studying, Timothy was most likely one of the kids just running around, Timothy. And so here they are in Lystra, this pagan town where there's not a whole lot of Jews, and so the first thing you actually see happen here is a, is a supernatural healing. So Acts 14 verses 8 through 10, it says, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth, and he had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice, stand up right on your feet, and guess what happened? He sprang up, and he began walking. So just think about it. Imagine it in your mind. This man had literally never walked in his life. He was the kid. So imagine, you know, better and brighter kids happened in this room here. All the kids are running around and playing except for this guy. He was the kid that always had to sit down. And as a kid, he just watched all the kids play games and chase one another. He was the teenager that just sat there. He didn't get to join his teenage friends as they chased the little girls around the town and he just sat there. He was the adult man that couldn't necessarily work much for himself. If he needed to go from here to there, he needed you to pick him up. He had limitations. He was probably embarrassed a lot, and now here he is in his town, and there's this guy, Paul, preaching the gospel of Jesus, sharing about how there's this Jesus that came to save, and he can heal. And and what started to happen in this guy is he's probably started to go Well, if Jesus can heal, maybe he can do it for me. And he started to—and that's where you see the Scripture says And Paul noticed the faith welling up inside of this man. And what happens? Paul approaches the man, he says, get up, and by the Spirit of God, this man was healed. And for the first time in his life, he walks. Step by step, probably with tears running down his face, he walked. I mean, just think about the compassion of Jesus. We think a lot in these Acts stories about the thousands and the masses, but just the compassion that Jesus has for this individual man that never could walk in his life, and bam, now he's walking. It's the compassion of Jesus. And this miracle caused the crowd to gather in amazement. They're freaking out, much like we probably would. We'd be with our phones, Posting online, gathering, high-fiving each other. Oh my gosh, brother, whatever, now can walk. And so the crowds gather, and the people actually thought, if you read later, check me on it, And Acts 14, they actually thought that Paul and Barnabas were gods. Again, this was pagans. They didn't know, have any context for this. So they actually thought that Paul and Barnabas were Zeus and Hermes. And they brought out sacrifices and animals. They were going to sacrifice them before the gods. And because of the language barrier, it took a second for Paul to understand what was going on. And once he figured it out, he was like, nope, stop. He shut it down. And then he begins to do what he does. He preached a sermon. But what's interesting about this sermon is he met them where they were. He understood they had no—if Paul starts quoting Old Testament, these people wouldn't know what he's talking about. So guess what Paul does? He uses creation and things that are on their level that they can understand. He uses all of that as the backdrop to preach about the goodness of God, because again, these people had no knowledge of Old Testament Scripture. So he preaches, and guess what happens? You should know the answer by now. Some listened some rejected. And then things take a turn. Remember, two stops ago, persecution started to rise up in AOP. And then they really started to rise up in Iconium. And what had happened is all these gospel opposers, from AOP, they came into Iconium, they found each other, Yeah, we hate Paul, you hate Paul too, okay, let's go together. And now all these people fled to Lystra, and a group of these angry Jews from Iconium, they traveled 20 miles from Iconium, and then the other group traveled over 100 miles just to persecute and try to kill Paul. And these opposers of the gospel, they show up, and we read in Acts 14, 19 through 20, Again, this is the first missionary journey of Paul. It says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, and they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, (laughs) he rose up, and he entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. So I don't know about you, but if you guys started throwing rocks at me, and there's a ton of them right back here. I don't know why I'm telling you that. But if you ever decide to stone me, (laughs) they're back there. Good-sized stones. And if you stoned me, I'm most likely not going to get up right after it happens. I don't even know what this looked like. If I could go back in time and watch it, I'd love to see it. But somehow, Paul gets up after being stoned, Obviously, what you see here is that Paul's time wasn't done. When your time's not done, it doesn't matter if you're stoned or what, the Lord will sustain you if you still have work to do. Paul still had work to do. And the very next day after being stoned, he gets up and he travels, we'll show you on the map, 60 miles. The day after being stoned, he went, they fled from Lystra to Derbe, over a 60-mile journey. I don't even know if I could do that right now. He did it after being stoned. And this is what he did. And they go to Durbe, and they, they recover there. They teach a little bit. And then what? What you would imagine is here they are in Derbe. And look, if you look east, they know home base is here. So what is the logical comfortable thing to do, let's go visit home, Paul's home in Tarsus, eat some of the food there, hang out, and then let's go to Antioch." You would think that's what they would do, but Paul and Barnabas, they look at each other and they go, our work's not done. We brought the gospel, there's lots of new believers there, but there's no churches. There's no spiritual mamas and daddies. There's no pastors to shepherd the flock. Who's going to take care of these spiritual kids? Who's going to disciple them? Who's going to equip them so that they can, one, stay together, worshiping God, not be fearful of persecution? But number two, continue to reach the cities in which they belong to. And so what do they do? You see the arrow? They turn around. Acts 14, 21 through 23 We read, and when they had preached the gospel to that city, to Derbe, and made many disciples, they returned where? To Lystra. What had just happened in Lystra? Paul just got stoned there, and he returns back. And then to Iconium and to Antioch, which is where all of those opposers came from. And why did they do it? Verse 22, to strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Pause right there. I love how black and white this is because the gospel that is preached a lot today is believe in Jesus and He'll make your life great. He'll make you rich and comfortable and you can be fat and happy on your way to heaven. That's the gospel that's preached today. That is not the gospel. The gospel is... Through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God. We will suffer. We will be persecuted. Maybe not all the time, maybe some more than others, but just so you know, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, because the King has overcome, and He's with us. He will sustain us, and it is through tribulation, like Paul is telling them, he's being honest. You are going to suffer. For your faith in Christ, just so you know, but we will enter the kingdom one day. Verse 23, and when they had appointed elders, pastors for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so Paul and Barnabas, they knew what they needed to do is they needed to finish what they started. If we can put the map back up, they had to go back from where they were. They had to go to Lystra, back to Iconium, and the map is somewhere. (laughs) They had to go, yeah, to Lystra, to Iconium. They had to plant churches here and establish leadership here, and Iconium they had to go to AOP. And just so you know, the reason they didn't go back here is because they were already churches here. So, when they were done, they left AOP, and they for some reason went over here, not sure why, and then they went back home. But Paul and Barnabas, they knew they needed to finish what they started. Again, they established leaders. They established churches so that those churches like this one would be houses of worship where believers gather to worship together, houses of discipleship where believers, like Gwen said, are taught the word and taught the scripture and taught how to teach the Bible so that the cities could be reached for Jesus. This is what they had to do. And as they sail back into home base, they arrive back to the church of Antioch. Acts 14, 27 through 28 says, And when they arrived, you better believe, people were shouting, Paul and Barnabas are back. Go to the place where we meet. I'm not sure if it was by a tree or in a building in someone's home. They gathered together and they declared all that God had done with them. And now he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles and they remained no little time with the disciples. So they stayed for a while. They shared all that God had done. The church celebrated. They praised God. They probably sang. They ate. Paul showed them the scars that he had from being stoned. And this was the end of the first missionary journey of Paul. Church history lesson 101. A lot of knowledge, a lot of fact. But here's how I want to close this for us. The question that I had when I read all of this and studied it and not really knowing all that went into this missionary journey. Why in the world would Paul risk his life like that? What drove Paul to keep going? Why would he travel over a thousand miles? That missionary journey was over a thousand miles of walking. Why would he physically suffer in that way? Why would he endure being stoned and then get back up and keep going? Why would, he, why would he suffer? Why would he be rejected? Why would he face persecution? Why would he do that? The gospel. The gospel of Jesus. It was for Jesus and, and the gospel that's, that Paul would do what he did. Again, Tony Merida said in his commentary on Acts, the thread that runs throughout chapter 14 tells us the answer, really, to the question I just asked. Remembering the importance of the gospel keeps us fueled. Paul could not get over all that the gospel meant, forgiveness, freedom, justification, the presence of the Holy Spirit, adoption, reconciliation, future resurrection, and participation in a kingdom that will have no end. That gospel, and because of the glorious nature of the gospel, Paul couldn't stop preaching it, even if that meant suffering. The good news compelled him. The point is, the gospel's too good not to preach. And some will listen, and some will reject. And when, they, when people reject it, and they may even persecute the messenger for it, We get up and we keep preaching. And may we in this church congregation never stop telling the good news of Jesus to others. I pray that the gospel would compel you in a way like it never has before. Take the gospel to your home, to your family. We just sang it, to your workplaces, to our city. In any and every context we belong to, may the gospel compel us and be what drives us to keep moving forward. And when we face obstacles, we keep moving forward, and when people don't listen, we keep moving forward. When people reject us, when they make fun of us, we keep moving forward. When culture makes it difficult to gather or preach the gospel, we keep moving forward, because the gospel's too good not to preach. Amen? (laughs) The point is that we, like we shared back in the Nations and Neighbors series, we are missionaries on mission to advance the kingdom, and this is our time. 2023 is our time. Paul had his time, and we read about it. We praise God for Paul. He did amazing things, and we could just sit around the fire and be amazed and and look at what Paul did, or we could do it ourselves. And know that 2023 is our time. Your family needs the gospel. Your coworkers need the gospel. People in this church need the gospel. Even people that know the gospel, they need it all over again. Some days I wake up and I have that feeling I used to feel, God, are you, are you upset with me? Are you angry? What I need is the gospel. No. No, he's not upset with you. Remember what Jesus did. You need the gospel. So my question to you, do you truly understand the gospel? Have you really experienced the weight of the gospel? Does the gospel compel you the way it did Paul? In our huddle this morning, I had this thought. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. If Paul lived his life the way you do, would the nations be reached? If Paul thought the way you think, would the nations have been reached? If, if Paul mirrored his life the way you live your life, would we be reading about this? Or would these places have continued to be unreached? If you replace you with Paul and the believers of Antioch said, brother, go, would you have gone? It's just something to ponder. Does the gospel compel you the way it compelled Paul. If it doesn't, then I pray right now in the name of Jesus that if you're hesitant towards living your life for the kingdom, if you find one foot in the kingdom and one foot hanging on the world, you want, you know, to advance the kingdom, but you also want YOLO, you want to live for Jesus, but man, that stuff is really good. Man, I, I want to sacrifice things for Jesus, but God! A bank account are you pulled, I pray, in the name of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would do what it did in Acts, and we would be filled with the Spirit of God, and we would respond from that fresh infilling with boldness, and surrender, and repentance, and sacrifice. That's what I'm praying. You may not want it, but I pray it anyway. <laughs> the last thing I'll say, I'm going to quote you know who. Tony Merida, concluding his thoughts on the missionary journey of Paul. Some Christians put off engaging in ministry, telling themselves, I'll serve Jesus when it's convenient. But when we are truly captivated by the gospel, when the truth of who Jesus is and what he did for us becomes the most important thing in our lives, we will gladly sacrifice comfort, selfish desires, to make sure we help others know him. We must never get over the gospel. We must never let our affections for the Savior cool. So do you believe the gospel? Will you let the gospel compel you? I pray my answer is yes, your answer is yes, and may we continue to spur one another on. This is our time. 2023 is ours. Let's go. Let's get to work. All right, let's stand together. <laughs> I want to close by, maybe you thought it, maybe you didn't, but we, I had Zach and Gwen read Acts 20, which had nothing to do with the sermon today. The reason I chose that is because what you see in Acts 20 is the answer to what I just said. Why, Paul, why would you do that? Why did you live your life in that way? And what you see here, and this is the sermon in a few weeks where Pastor Ron will share Paul preaching and talking to the Ephesian pastors. But man, there's this one part It's become one of my favorite verses Acts 20, 19 through 24, I'll read it again, where Paul, reflecting back on all that he did for the Lord, he says, "'I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. "'I have endured the trials that came to me "'from the plots of the Jews. "'I never shrank back from telling you "'what you needed to hear, "'either publicly or in your homes. "'I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, "'the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God.' and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, and I know what awaits me. The Holy Spirit tells me in city after city, suffering is ahead. And here it is, what has become one of my all-time favorite verses. I pray this sinks deep into your heart. Verse 24, it says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless... I use it, my life, for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. I pray that would be our anthem. My life, my life is worth nothing to me except to advance the kingdom and tell others the wonderful grace of God. And So Lord, I pray now in this room, Holy Spirit, would you fill us In this hour that we live, in 2023, would you fill us with the boldness we need, with the grace we need, with the mercy. Give us eyes to see every open door that you lead us to. And Lord, I know that some of us, those open doors may lead to sacrifice, struggle. But Lord, thank you as we see from our Christian brother and sisters, in the book of Acts, and as we look back at the history of the church for thousands of years, you sustained them, you led them, and so, Lord, we ask would you do the same for us? Would you sustain us? Would you lead us? Would you give us boldness? God I pray the same prayer that they prayed in Acts 4. We pray, Lord, would you grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness, And while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of the Holy Servant Jesus, Lord, that's what we want. We want boldness. Holy Spirit, we want to see signs and miracles open doors for the gospel to come and to change lives. That's what I pray. And I pray that all of us would be in this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we praise God today? Here's the good news, if up until this point you really haven't been living for Jesus, praise God for grace, that your record can be wiped clean as if you never broke the law of God in the first place. And so if you need to receive Christ today, I'm here, I'd love to talk to you. If you are a Christian, but you're kinda wrestling, I wanna go, but have I disqualified myself? No, you have not. Join the team, let's get in the game. 2023 is our time to advance the kingdom and let's go. Amen. Love you guys. We'll be back next week, week eight. Pray for better and brighter this week.